0: This is The Rogue Philosopher. Uh, This episode, I want to attempt to get out more material and maybe add a little bit of variety to some of the takes on what I'm putting out. It won't be as well polished. It won't be as deeply analytical. Because this is The Rogue Philosopher Reacts. I've not yet finished watching Russian Doll yet. I think I've seen the first five episodes and there are eight of the first season. <clears throat> I think there's a second season out there, but I don't know where it is if it's out there. I haven't come across it yet. Uh Rogue Philosopher reacts to Russian Doll. Very briefly, what is Russian Doll? Russian Doll is about a woman on her 36th birthday who ends up dying at her party looking for her cat. And then begins to die. Repeatedly, Like every time she makes a mistake or makes a misstep or does something off, death finds her no matter what she does, where she goes, who she's with, what she tries to do. So, this won't be as in-depth an in analysis, but I envision talking a little bit about the show, a little bit about black comedy, a little bit about the characters and their situation and their reasons why, and a little bit about... God, the great organizer of all things. I think I want to talk a little bit about God just to get people thinking in a direction of um, what could be the motives, motivations of such a a being in its benevolence, if there is such a thing. um, Why would it deliberately design a world like the one we live in? A simulation. This is a time loop of a different sort. Yes, it's it's a time loop. Um, But it's not like Dark or uh, White Bear or um, Hang the DJ. It's almost like a video game. Where you keep playing the video game over and over again, and you keep dying, so you have to keep resetting. And every time you reset, you get another chance to go around again. So it's somewhat different from reincarnation, um, because there's a procession of evolution in reincarnation. But in this, uh, she just keeps dying over and over again, and she remembers everything she's been through. So she remembers all the many times that she died, and how she died, and, and all of that in order to change her behavior through each cycle around. Now, for the first three or four episodes, she's by herself dealing with this time loop. She thinks it might be her drugs that she's taken that could be causing a hallucination. Um, She's unsure exactly what it is until she meets a guy who apparently is trapped in the same loop as she is, and he too dies over and over and over again. Now, why? You know, he thinks maybe it's because he's done sins in his life and he's committed some sort of criminal act and he's being punished for it. It never occurs to her per se. Um, She goes on a quest to determine just how bad she really is, you know, and determines she's way, way worse morally and everything else than uh, the poor bastard. So it can't be for that reason that he's being punished in this manner. Whether or not she is, she doesn't accept that particular analysis. She thinks there's a puzzle that needs to be solved somehow. And solving that puzzle will get her out of the recurrence of of death in the time loops. Now, the brief reaction to this, it is a black comedy first. So a black comedy, you're not supposed to have a lot of sympathy for the characters in a black comedy. The sympathetic character in a black comedy is the author's voice, not the characters. Not the situation, not the um, empathy. You're not supposed to have empathy for the characters. Um, Black comedy is focused primarily around sex and death. We've got oodles and oodles of death in this one, and, and quite a bit of sex as well. But pretty much everything she says and does is to react in the most unsympathetic way to an audience that that one can react. I think she's in a way the the author is making fun of of New York, of the yuppie spirit of New York, of the uh, Gen Y millennial types. Where she's literally the personification of every shallow quality and characteristic about millennials that's put out there by media or by social media or any other form of media. She's profoundly unsympathetic has no empathy for anyone else, a very selfish, self-centered, uh, tremendously shallow. All of her qualities are about shallowness, everything. Her emotions are shallow, Her the way she views other characters is shallow. The only thing she seems to have any humane feelings towards at all are her cat and later on the therapist, which I guess is that her mother, I'm not n- entirely sure. <clears throat> but the only good quality she has is that she wants to find her poor missing cat and she seems to care for the cat that's about the only thing she seems to express any kind of affection towards or uh, caring in any way now this is a funny funny show it really is it's dark it's funny I love it it's a, it's a very dark humor along the lines more of my humor but I watched the first episode of Russian Doll and I almost didn't watch anymore because the lead character is so disagreeable. Probably one of the most disagreeable characters I've ever seen in any show. Where I'm just like, you know, this is, this is unpleasant to watch. This is such a, a, a profoundly unsympathetic character. That I don't want to do the work to get through the rest of the show. To figure out why she's in a time loop where she's dying every time. I don't care why she's dying good it's kind of what she deserves and ultimately i kept watching the show initially before i was captured by the humor of the show and it's very clever humor but the only reason i kept watching was to watch this girl die over and over and over again i wanted to see her get decapitated by getting hit by a truck and you know machine gun from across the road or splattered by another taxi cab or it's like good good kill this bitch kill her, falling down the stairs over and over again good you know her 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 gas stove blows up or whatever. Um, I've not finished the yet yet, so I, I can't really protect from spoilers. But obviously, if you've not watched any of Russian Doll, I have to I have to give the um, disclaimer. Watch the show before you listen, as always with the Rogue Philosopher. Watch the show before you listen. But in any case, I kept watching it. Because I was hoping, I was looking forward to seeing this chick die over and over and over again. And all the hopefully spectacular, creative, calamitous ways that the show will end up killing her off. That's what kept me going at first. It wasn't whether or not it was comic, because I could tell from the outset, the author's fairly clever and and pretty funny, but the character was so disagreeable, it cancelled out the humor for me, even. You know, except that I want to watch her, you know, go to the great beyond up in the sky a million times over. It's a good, just watch her getting killed over and over again, crush her skull, you know, chop her up, serial killer. I don't care. Just, just just get rid of her, get rid, you know, and you know, she never goes away. She keeps coming back to life. And so that was kind of funny because all the different vexing situations and her reaction to coming back to the same party over and over again, uh, and the same, the song, that song, I've got to get up, I've got to get out, I've got to get out of here. You know, that's a very clever double entendre message for, that the author is giving to the audience. It's quite funny, you know. Um, it's a takeoff Groundhog Day, of course, where in Groundhog Day, he wakes up with the radio playing I've Got You, Babe, right? Which is what? He's trapped. I've got you, babe. You're trapped in the time loop and you're never going to get out of it. So it's like the radio is making fun of uh, of Dan Aykroyd. It's kind of the same in this, except I believe it's source music. It's not a radio. She's hearing that. We're hearing that song. Maybe it's trapped in her head. Where Paul McCartney, I think it's McCartney, is singing, I've got to get up, I've got to get out, I've got to get out of here, get out of this prison, blah, blah, blah. Back to the party. The same shallow, asinine people at the party. The same pointless conversation, pointless you know, uh, party discussion where you have trivial, trivial facts about them. The, the same rat bastard who's having the affair on the other girl, we find out later that's connected to the other guy that she meets, you know, the shallow guy and she's trying to get back with her, uh, ex-boyfriend and you'd have sympathy for him. You feel kind of badly for him, but in the end that's canceled out by the fact, well, he has bad taste in women. That's a fact. You know, you just kind of like, well, good. This guy, what a schmuck, what a pushover, what a what a um, what a chump, right? I mean, and he gets it. He gets what's coming to him too. <clears throat> you know, so the idea that if she fixes her relationship with her ex-boyfriend, it will free her from the time loop. It doesn't appear that's the case. But even if it were, it, it demonstrates uh, she's not contrite. She just is is so desperate to reduce her entrapment and her suffering and all the rest of it that she'll do or say anything to trick whatever power it is that be that's trapped her in this time loop just to trick it and get out of experiencing the time loop so she can go back to being her shallow millennial yuppie i'm a new york little rich girl self you know uh and continue indefinitely into shallowness, and then it's make it makes fun too of <clears throat> there are there are arbitrary ages that we reach in our lives where we imagine ourselves maturing with wisdom and with age. You know, for some it's thirty. You know, for some it's forty. You know, for for <laughs> for some people maybe it's even a little younger, like twenty five. I'm supposed to be an adult now. I'm twenty five. Well. It's 36, which is kind of arbitrary, although the number 36 is divisible by 9. Uh, 1 plus 8 is 9, 3 plus 6 is 9. Um, there are 36 righteous in uh, the Kabbalistic mythology. In Judaism, there are supposed to be 36 <clears throat> righteous who keep the world on track. They they, they um, help guide the world towards divinity. They're the ones... Holding up the world, you know the thirty-six righteous men. They're hidden, hidden righteous zaddikim, and they, in their whatever it is they're doing, they keep the presence of the divine in the world and favorably turned in our direction. Um, you know, but that that can't be why. It's not. It's not gematria. It's not some trick of numerology that that the author is playing with here. It literally is. She's making fun of New York. New York, because the character almost seems to personify the spirit of New York. Kind of violent, shallow, uncaring, unsympathetic, always in a hurry, you know, constantly bragging about about work, but skipping at the first chance she gets. Just a supremely and profoundly unlikable character. You know, almost such that, again, what it it took for me to continue to watch the show was excitement on watching her get chopped up in a wood... Wood chipper or something. It's a good any, anything. But that's obviously not why the author wants you to watch her black comedy. It's a light-hearted black comedy, if one can describe it as such. Um, and it's the ways that the characters react to their situation that drives the humor. It's not even what's actually happening to them, per se. It's how they react. It's how they attempt to deal with the situation. That's where the humor comes in. Or all the ways that she thinks she can evade death and ends up dying anyway. So, I had a brief riff the other day uh, about how the divine would would manifest to us. Uh, A bit off topic, I suppose, but because it comes up in the show, I can get away with this. Because she seems to think there's, there's something she can bargain with to try to get out of this situation at some point and the guy of course thinks if he's very contrite i mean but he's a neurotic anyway and at a, at a shallow level of neurosis that if he corrects whatever it is he's done wrong morally or ethically or whatever he'll be released from his punishment now in uh the stephen king the storm of the century okay one of the ways that the demonic characters describe hell is repetition Hell is repetition, and especially in in our consumer culture, which is is capitalist. Um, repetition is a sign of of uh, of entrapment, to be sure. Even though we live lives of repetition, constant repetition, you know, day after day after day, the same day over and over and over again, you know, um, but. For Stephen King, he really meant hell is repetition. One of the characters says, I'm going to eat your eyes over and over and over again because hell is repetition. So it makes perfect sense that, I think, what's, what is her name? Natalie or something? I don't remember her name. And and the guy, Alan, I'm not sure if that's his name, Alan, um, it's, it's a logical conclusion that he would come to the conclusion even before she does, that he's in some sort of hell, that he's trapped in. You know, maybe at first she thinks she's hallucinating and she's being punished for taking uh, cocaine in the joint, but it's not cocaine really, it's ketamine. You know, she hunts down the dealer and it's, it's ketamine. Now, ketamine does induce uh, life uh, near-death experiences. A lot of people who take it in high doses, and they also f- know that ketamine fights off depression. Why this is, nobody knows. It's a, it's a dissociative. So, if you combine it with painkillers, it strengthens the effect of the painkillers. And you can take lower doses of the narcotic. It's, it's a way to help fight becoming addicted after a major surgery or a severe auto accident or whatever, God help you, where they can mix a weaker narcotic with ketamine and it enhances the effects of both Um No, but she thinks it's ketamine, not cocaine. And the dealer says, yeah, yeah, it's ketamine. Oh, my God, it's not the cocaine in the marijuana joint. Which I don't think cocaine would, it would make you, it would jazz you up. It would get your heart rate up. It would get you feeling more euphoric and more happy, wouldn't it? I mean, it would clear your head. Cocaine wouldn't induce hallucinatory dreamscapes. It would negate such things, wouldn't it? But anyway, she's wrong, and... <clears throat> and then she tries to be in all these different locations, all these different places. You know, she's whatever divine entity has trapped her in this situation. Now, this is only tangentially related, but it is. Now, now why, if we experience a divine visitation, a near-death experience, a mystical experience, what have you, why do we experience it the way we do? And, and what people are experiencing is their reaction to the presence of an overwhelming divine presence and maybe the divine is giving them feelings of euphoria and being noticed and being loved people usually feel as though they're they're loved and they're in a warm place warm light like like sunlight like the warmest you've ever been now now human beings we only experience being human beings as human beings. So whether or not it's the brain constructing it or whether or not it's the divine giving us uh, a situation that we can handle, it has to give it to us in the way that we would most recognize as divine. And so what happens? You had the most euphoric feeling you've ever had when you were, say, you were a child or when you're, you're being held by your parent, or when you're a small child and you can go to your parents, and they have all the answers. That's when you felt the safest from the world, unless you had an abusive childhood, like many of us have. Um, your brain would gravitate towards that. And of course, there, there's the idea of, of come to me in a pleasing form that I can withstand in different rituals for magic whether or not they're black or white or irrelevant. Uh, in magic, you make a request of these spirits, these entities, to come to you in a pleasing form. Not in their actual form, not in their Lovecraftian tentacles, they're going to eat your brain form, but they want to, you want them to appear as a beautiful man or a woman, as an angel, as, as, a, as a being of light, as something that you can uh, digest Okay, which is fair enough, right? Because we can only react to stuff that we understand in the context of our understanding. Uh, When people have further out experiences, uh, whether they're caused by hallucinogenic drugs or by extreme stress and trauma, the experiences that are beyond their capacity to integrate, they simply forget them. And William James, when he speaks of having a, a universal experience of universal knowledge from nitrous oxide, most of that is immediately lost. And we know with peak experiences, we know with um, some experiences of mystical consciousness, most of it is lost after the experience. You you can't retain it. You don't retain the experience because it's not part of your day-to-day consciousness. And you can't attach it to anything. So if there were a divine entity, and he wants you to attach something to it, it would come to you in a form that would be most recognizable for you as a form of love. Because in the end, your emotional landscape, you are reacting to the presence of this being. Whether or not there's even a God there, you have no way of knowing. There's no way to tell. So, of course, it would choose to manifest to you in a way that you would recognize. You know, you would recognize the, the the best feeling you've ever had. You've been in love. You've made love. Or the best meal you've ever had with friends. Everything is is this golden light. You know, maybe you had a picnic when you were a kid, and it was the the best summer afternoon you'll ever remember. You were warm. You were safe. Everything was beautiful. It's It's going to choose to come to you in expressions like that. It's going to manifest to you in ways that you can recognize especially if there is an entity of that nature. Who wants you to change as a result of the visitation? They want you to remember that there is a God and you should be part of your belief structure and, and follow the rules more and you know, you, uh, live in a way that would <clears throat> be pleasing to this creature. You're not going to want to make them mad at you. Who wants their parents mad at them? You're nobody. So it's going to appear to you in ways that you will understand. Now, that's assuming that this being is is benevolent and wants what's best for you. Now, just because they're benevolent and all loving doesn't mean they're always gonna be nice to you. It doesn't mean that they will refrain from causing you tremendous pain or anxiety. That might be the thing you need at the time. And the most loving thing for that being to give to you is an overwhelming sense of terror. Uh, Certainly, the cells of our body that keep us alive, are utterly and completely altruistic. They live and they die, we don't even notice them. They, they sacrifice themselves on a regular basis to keep the organism alive. And we don't notice. So for those cells who are loving and benevolent, their whole primary existence is toward an altruistic existence, to maintain homeostasis. The best thing for them is to die, <clears throat> oftentimes. Um, and in a way that 's probably not very nice i don 't know if they experience pain per se, but we do when enough of them are mad at us, you know, and those cells pump the feelings of pain into our body so that we can stop whatever it is that 's causing the pain i mean even here i 'm sitting here i 'm kind of shivery i don 't know why my window's open it 's cold um the body is telling me something get warm you know and that's a very unpleasant feeling is it a loving or an unloving thing for this physical being to be sending my higher brain a sensation of being uncomfortable you know and <clears throat> so euphoria it's not always the case that a loving being would be an entity of pure euphoriant because that may not be what you need at the time It could be the opposite to what you need, which is why drugs can be so dangerous for us, because they cause euphoriant in excess to the situation that we're in. I mean, we receive euphoriant as reinforcement for taking better care of ourselves, eating, getting enough sleep, being well-exercised and well-rested, reinforcing human bonds, you know, because we live better in community than not. So you feel more euphoriant if you're with, friends, family, or lovers, assuming they're not utterly dysfunctional. You, you, these things are, are given to us to continue doing something that's positive, but the euphoriant never lasts. And that's why, I mean, we could all hook ourselves up to a, a helmet and electrocute our brains and feel euphoriant all day, maybe never get out of bed again. Is that so bad? We can just order stuff on the Internet. You know, we can say we're locking down for COVID-19 forever. And just keep giving me the electric the electric current, please. So you bzzz, bzzz. Now very clearly I would I would speculate that in Russian doll if there is a divine, I don't think there is, it definitely has her best interest at heart by trying to demonstrate to her how utterly out of sync she is with the uh, rules of a divine being? Because at the heart of all these religions, why is it that all of our religions, the divine being that's bigger than us, the superego, if you will, wants us to love our neighbors and to take care of our communities and to live in a wholesome way? God never comes down to someone and says, take more drugs, even when they've taken hallucinogens. These entities that that come to life through the hallucinogen, usually will chide you on the things that you've done wrong. You'll have a life review, and they'll tell you, you've done this wrong. They'll, they'll say, you're, you're drinking too much. You were too mean to your brother or your neighbor. <clears throat> you, you, were, you were too uncaring for your, your husband or wife or whatever. These things aren't always going to be nice to you. They're going to they're show you what you need. At the time you need it, that can be the most beneficial and healing for you at the moment, you need to be healed because it is medicine. We, we we go to these things and we pray for healing. We pray for make things better. Usually, it's make things better or don't stop. This feels really, really good. Um, so, it may be that, what is her name, damn it? Um, <clears throat> Natasha or whatever her name is, um, is being sent something to try to help her Wake up to become more conscious. You know why are we sent suffering in our lives? We're not necessarily sent it. Uh, if 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 there is a divine, and if the suffering is is more or less fair. By fair, I mean proportional. You know, if your leg is broken, it's gonna have to hurt an awful lot for you to know your leg's broken, so you can go fix it. Um, but a lot of the suffering in our lives is disproportionate to our needs because human beings cause one another enormous suffering outside of of, of nature. It's built on, on ego. The ego has enhanced our capacity to injure one another in order to steal for ourselves, to take for ourselves. That's what egotism does. And it's necessary to survive, you have to eat a certain amount of food. You have to have a certain amount of money in order to sustain yourself. You have to have a certain amount of physical needs that require being met. And sometimes uh being too focused on meeting those needs keeps us in a lower level of consciousness where we're we're using one another we're not enhancing one another for the benefit of of ourselves and for each other so she's having this this suffering sent to her disproportionately it seems to her to us i think it's perfectly just she has it coming every every bit of it every damn bit of it but still the the idea is in the background that she has to do something right that she has to evolve in some way to change how she interacts such that she can get out of the time loop or cancel out whatever effect it is that she's inadvertently brought upon herself to cause the time loop now, I doubt, I mean, I haven't finished the, the show yet. I very much doubt that that there's a divine being in this movie, in this show. It's possible. I may be wrong, but it's, it's a black comedy. So in the end, everything is to be made fun of. And, and all of it has to do with her reaction to the situation. And black comedies make fun of of our society, of aspects of our society that need to be satirized or, or parodied or critiqued and attacked in some way, because ultimately when you write a black comedy, you're, you're doing it from a place of, of real outrage. I mean, real outrage, you know, um, why did they make wag the dog because <clears throat> because the writers perhaps because they thought hey imperialist wars are pretty stupid and horrible and violent and and people who make those wars ought to be made fun of because they're they're destructive and diabolical makes sense to me so i wonder in terms of the, of the writer who is she really mad at is she mad at herself is she mad at uh, social media is she mad at at neighbors on the street that seem too self-absorbed in their phones and too shallow, the New York jet-setter type, shallow, f- obsessed on beauty, <clears throat> that that sort of culture of, of uh, New York or of Hollywood. Is she mad at that? Is she mad at the corporate structure? Is she mad? You know, it's hard to, hard to say, ultimately. Even when i finished, I'm not sure I'll know for sure. But you can tell she's mad at somebody. <clears throat> um... Now I'm delighted because I want to see this 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 character die over and over and over again. I think it's hilarious you know and unfortunately you you start to gain a little sympathy for her as as you watch the show because you gain a kind of uh, connection to her problem it it puts your mind in accord with the character um, so that The character, you want her to get out of this Ariadne maze of of death because you want to get out of the maze of death, but you want to keep watching because, hey, it's so funny. But after a a while, when you watch a show or you spend time with a drama or something, you fall under its spell, as it were. You fall into accord uh, with the game. I mean, it's a kind of game when you're watching a, a program. You're suspending your disbelief long enough to learn the rules of this drama. And then you fall into accord with, with the, the goals the drama sets for you. You want to win, so you want the characters to win out of either catharsis or a sense of winning. You know, a stupid little game. If you, you play a game... You get so absorbed in that game, it is your whole reality during the time you're playing the game. That's why the games are healthy for us, because they, 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 they take us out of past and future and they put us into a, a present. But you get really in, emotionally invested in the rules of the game and in winning. Whatever the game says is the goal of the player, that's what you most want in that moment. You want to win that game, and it's the same for a drama, which is another kind of game. <clears throat> it's a long-range game. It's a, it's a game that takes place over long term. And while you're playing with others, they're not necessarily the others in your audience. You're playing with the author, or the author is playing with you. And so you want, you desperately want, in the end, for the game to come to fruition in a way that feels like it's, it's victorious in some way or other. Now, in this case, it's so that, uh, in Russian Doll, it's so that this woman will escape dying over and over again. Because that's the drama ultimately says that's the ultimate crux of the story. Can she or can she not escape this time loop that constantly is killing her over and over again? Now, at some point soon, I saw an ad for this, and I, I must watch it, and I must do an episode in the very near future of Rogue Philosopher about this. I want to watch Midsummer, Midsommar, which is apparently one of the best horror films of 2019, and it follows a different schema than most horror films do in terms of its aesthetic, and its dramatic thrust, and in terms of its <clears throat> its its character portrayal and their interact. So at some point soon, I want to watch Mid Midsummer and do a rogue philosopher episode about Midsummer and the ideas of horror. Like I said, I, I soon want to do uh, Eugene Thacker. I want to bring in more short stories or more Lovecraftian type stuff. I, I want to expand it a little bit. But in this case, I haven't finished it yet, and it's meant as a comedy. And for me, it's hard for me to consider doing a comical episode of Rogue Philosopher, because I don't know. It's it's a bit harder to intellectually evaluate something and and be funny about it. I mean, it can be done, but it's much much harder. <clears throat> and so, you you've fallen under the rules of of the game. You've fallen under the spell of the playwright or the poet or whatever it is. And that'll take you... Usually it it can cause uh, an increase of awareness while you're in the midst of that game in the situation that that movie portrays. So what do I mean? I mean that if you're watching garbage movies, you're going to have a garbage outlook. You know, when you escape the movie and it's over, it's just a movie, you put things into proper context... But it does have an effect. It it will have an effect, uh, a reinforcing f- effect. It's a reflection of your inner state, or maybe it's causing your inner state. And there's a feedback loop in what we watch and what we read. And <clears throat> there's there's an echo chamber in the mind of the emotions. And so, what am I saying? I'm not saying the sensors are right. Uh, I'm not saying you know don't let kids play video games. No. I'm, I'm, but um. But there is there is. Their criticism has some weight. Uh, they're overreacting, and they think they're, they, but it does have some weight only, and because we we subconsciously recognize this, that these things are meaningful for us. Look how much we invest in in our fiction, in our in our m- movies and books and video games. See, I don't have video games. That's not an escape that I have. That most people do. You know, people spend hours, days, and years playing video games, what, what does the video game actually have to offer? You're not getting paid for it, ultimately. You're not, you know, you win some sort of pseudo-prestige in the world of the game, in multi-role-playing games, yet we invest everything we have in our fiction. And we should. I'm not saying we should not. But it's that important, it has a physiological effect, it has a, well, in quotes of course, a spiritual effect. There's reasons that humans are drawn to these things so intensely. And, and it isn't just, it is, but it isn't ju- now I'm curious what Chris would say psychologically about game theory, or about why do we have altered consciousness to escape reality, or whatever this is. <clears throat> we've invested so much in it in our culture because it has value because it it has a purpose you know there if there weren't a purpose or a value to it it wouldn't be a factor and we wouldn't elevate it and we wouldn't expend energies in order to do it and we do don't we we expend massive amounts of capital to play games effectively to play games Everything from following a favorite sports team, which is come becoming invested in the story of a particular team. Now it's a totally random story. You're organizing that story out of their stats and out of the rules of the league, the football league, your your soccer league, whatever, your, your um, I don't know, what are they in Europe where they kill each other over the bloody th- soccer game, the Celtic, what is it, Celt- something, uh, Celtic, something uh, Celtic, uh, I don't know. Um that's not so crazy. I mean, to an American, it might look crazy. But is it, is it really? You know, it just it seems a bit out of, out of culture because we don't burn our cities down when our team loses or wins uh, or kill the, player, uh, the audience watchers of the other team, per se. You know, but Super Bowl, when the team does win, they do a lot of hoodlumism and destruction in our cities. I mean, because we've invested everything in this game. And it has value and it's important, whether it's a fictional story or a game, a, a, a narrative we've constructed out of uh, out of watching these teams play and out of the drama of will the team win the game or will the team lose. Uh, so in this story, I, I've I've not finished it. Uh, I, I want to. I'll come back to it with a bit more focus and talk about time loops and the logic of time loops and the various mathematical theories behind. Um, behind time loops, just to help sort of add to the discussion about dark and black mirror, and just to sort of bring something new uh, into the mix eternal recurrence, whether that's Nietzsche, Iliade, or, uh, or mathematical theory done by physicists. You know, it'll add, it'll add something to the, uh, the discussion overall. But there's not much I can add now. <clears throat> About it. So, for the moment, I'm going to call this an inconclusive end to The Rogue Philosopher Reacts. And maybe I should start off spin off of different episodes called The Rogue Philosopher Reacts, where instead of always waiting to the end of a show, till I'm done reading or watching something, and done reading or watching a movie, in the middle, um, I can start doing some of these episodes, just a reaction episode. And they wouldn't be as long necessarily as as my longer episodes where I've put more mental energy into creating them. But in any case, <clears throat> let's call it good. Let's call this the end of this particular episode of The Rogue Philosopher, subtitle The Rogue Philosopher Reacts to Russian Dolls. And we'll call it good. And again, thank you for listening. Uh, thank you for spending time with me in my world, my twisted, topsy-turvy world. And... Um, If you can, give a smile or a wave, a shout-out to any members of the Esoteric Order of the Luciferian Lobster. They need love, too. Yeah. Um, And be of, of good cheer. We will meet again under the shadow of the lily.